This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. A man sat at a metro station in Washington, D.C. and started to play the violin. It was a cold January morning. He played six Bach pieces for about 45 minutes. And during that time, since it was rush hour, it was calculated that 1,100 people went through the station, most of them on their way to work. Three minutes went by, and a middle-aged man noticed there was a musician playing. He slowed his pace and stopped for a few seconds and then hurried up to meet his schedule. A minute later, the violinist received his first dollar tip. A woman threw the money in the till and without stopping continued to walk. A few minutes later, someone leaned against the wall to listen to him, but the man looked at his watch and started to walk again. Clearly, he was going to be late for work. The one who paid the most attention was a three-year-old boy. His mother tagged him along, hurried, but the kid stopped to look at the violinist, and finally the mother pushed hard. And the child continued to walk, turning his head all the time. This action was repeated by several other children. All the parents, without exception, forced them to move on. In the 45 minutes the musician played, only six people stopped and stayed for a while. About 20 gave him money, but continued to walk their normal pace. He collected $32. The violinist was Joshua Bell, one of the most talented musicians in the world. And he had just played one of the most intricate pieces ever written on a violin worth $3.5 million. Two days before his playing in the subway, Joshua Bell sold out at a theater in Boston where the seats averaged $100 apiece. This is a real story. Joshua Bell playing incognito in the metro station. This was an experiment organized by the Washington Post. It's part of a social experiment about perception and taste and priorities of people. The outlines of the experiment were, we'll do this in a commonplace environment at an inappropriate hour. And in that environment, do we perceive beauty? Do we stop to appreciate it? Do we recognize the talent in an unexpected context? One of the possible conclusions from this experience could be this. If we don't have a moment to stop and listen to one of the best musicians in the world playing the best music ever written, How many other things in life are we missing? There's a parable in Luke 14. If you want to turn there in your Bible, you're welcome to. By the way, you might look at your outline and say, this has last Sunday's date for our guests, and that's because we made a change at the last minute last Sunday and did something very different. Parable in Luke 14 that fits in with our our series. The title of our series is Simplify, about priorities in our lives. Jesus was in this story, he was actually eating dinner on the Sabbath in the home of one of the leading Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were a Jewish 
sect or our way of thinking, uh, denomination maybe, that constantly criticized Jesus because he was so different, because he didn't fit into their misinterpretations of God's law. We would look at them as we read the Gospels and identify them as Jesus' enemies. They always seem to be hounding him. But here he is socializing with them. And as he often does, don't miss this, God often stirs things up with controversy. He's about to do that with them. While he's having this meal, socializing with these Pharisees on the Sabbath, a sick man is brought to Jesus for healing. Now, that wouldn't be unusual. It happened all the time. People brought the sick to Jesus every day, hoping for healing, except what made this controversial or unusual is that it's on the Sabbath day, Saturday. And the Pharisees believed that to heal this man would violate the Sabbath, which was a God-given day of rest. Healing him to them would be breaking the law. They would rather the man, can you come back tomorrow? Maybe that would be more fitting. Here he was needing what only Jesus could give him, so there was Jesus, and Jesus is always full of compassion, and Jesus heals the man. And then he told the Pharisees sitting around the table, he could sense their blood pressure rising. He could see the, the frowns and the look of scorn on their faces as they just shook their heads at what he had just done. He said, you know, you guys would have done the same thing if your ox was stuck in a ditch on the Sabbath. You wouldn't just leave it there. You'd work hard on the Sabbath day to get it out, wouldn't you? And the answer was, well, yeah, probably so. And they knew why. The ox stuck in a ditch. If a sudden rainstorm came up and flooded the ditch, it would drown the ox. Or a thief could come along. If they didn't get it out, somebody else would say, look here, an abandoned ox. I could use one of those. Steal the, steal the ox. It would, it would be kind of like you and I if we decided to go for a ride on the beach today and, and our, our vehicle got stuck in the sand. By the way, those of you from out of town, maybe your first time in the Outer Banks, unless you have a four-wheel drive vehicle, don't park anywhere in the sand, okay? Word to the wise is sufficient. I learned that a couple times the hard way back in the day. Uh, if, we, if we're out of driving and our, and our vehicle got stuck in the sand on the beach and the tide is out, and we look and say, well, the water's way out there. I'll come back tomorrow and get it out. We wouldn't do that. We'd get our vehicle out any way that we could. What was Jesus' point? Here's his point. Sometimes in an emergency, you can't afford to rest. Sometimes in an emergency, the most important thing at the moment is to get the ox out of the ditch in an emergency. But what happens in my life, what happens in your life, when I begin convincing myself that every day there's something more important to do than stop and enjoy the music. So Jesus tells a parable. But before he does, he gives a quick lesson on pride and humility, encouraging us to be humble. I'm going to read starting in verse 7 here in Luke 14. He told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves, seated around the table. 
He said, when you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't recline at the best place because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come and say to you, give your place to this man. And then in humiliation, you'll proceed to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go ahead and recline in the lowest place so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. You'll then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He also said to the one who had invited him, the Pharisee that invited Jesus to have dinner with all his friends, when you have a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you'd be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Keep those, those words in mind as the, as the story continues. Verse 15, And when one of those who reclined at the table with him, here at the dinner table, heard these things, he said to him, The one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God is blessed. You know, I mean, if you were sitting at the table with Jesus, you're having dinner with Jesus and, and a bunch of your friends, you know, I mean, you want to have a conversation with Jesus, you kind of, you ever been in that awkward moment when you, you're around somebody and you want to, I need to say something about what this person is familiar with. I need to speak into his world, his, talk about something about his job or something I know he's interested in. It's kind of awkward. So you throw something out there and maybe you say it all wrong. And this guy says, well, the one, I'm going to say something really spiritual here, Jesus So he makes this statement. One of those at the table, likely one of the Pharisees, said something that gives Jesus the opportunity to teach some more. The other guy was interested, this man was interested in the bread we might eat in God's kingdom. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb, that, that great feast when God pulls all of his family together in heaven all of those who have been saved and born again by Jesus Christ, and we're going to have this great banquet, the Bible says. And none of us will be on diets. Hello. Does that sound good to you? This guy, he was interested in the bread, in the kingdom, the food, in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus goes on, and he continues teaching, and he told him, all right, what can I say here? A man was giving a large banquet. And invited many. Now, a large banquet means you know, you've been to. I, I was in a. I was a, participated in a wedding yesterday. Uh, almost three hundred guests. There was a large banquet prepared. Lots of food. Plenty of food. It was like the homecoming at a country Baptist church. It was quite the spread. Verse seventeen. At the time of the banquet, he sent his slave. This man who prepared this banquet sent his slave to tell those who were invited, come. Because everything is now ready. See, the invitations had been sent earlier. We're going to have this big banquet. And those who have been given invitations know that the feast is coming. You know, when you have a party or you have a wedding, you invite those who, you invite people who mean something to you. 
friends and family. You hope they'll come. And now that day had arrived when the feast was prepared and the, the guests, uh, the servant went out to the, in the neighborhood and to their homes. They didn't have telephone. They didn't have texting and all those things. He had to go and walk around and knock on doors and say, it's ready, come on. Verse 18. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I just got married and therefore I'm unable to come. Everyone that this man had invited to come to his feast had an excuse and said, sorry, I'm unable to be there. Now keep in mind, this is a parable. What is a parable? Jesus taught by parables a lot. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He's using an example from life, but it's got a deeper spiritual meaning to it. And it's about the kingdom. Remember the man said, man, we're going to have a blessed time when we eat the food in the kingdom, aren't we? And Jesus said, let me talk about the kingdom for a second. Can we look at this parable? Can we identify who's in the story? Well, it's not hard. The man who's given the invitation, the man who's giving the feast is the Lord. And those who get the invitations are those to whom the gospel's been proclaimed, particularly at that time, the Jews. And they're invited to be part of the kingdom and to eat the food of the feast. And to the Jewish people, remember the story of Nicodemus? What was paramount on his mind when he went to see Jesus? I want to get into the kingdom. To the Jews, the kingdom, entering God's kingdom was most important. But these people in the story, the ones who've gotten the invitations, they're too busy. I just got to check out the field I just bought as though the field's not going to be there tomorrow, you know? I have to go out and try out my new oxen to see if they'll work well on my farm. By the way, both of these first two excuses are using business. They're using work as their excuses for missing the banquet. I've got to work. I've got to provide. I've got to survive. I think the third excuse is a little bit humorous. I just got married. Now, there's an excuse. I wonder what that says about his wife. Maybe he's saying, my wife doesn't want to go. Maybe he's saying, my wife won't let me go. But whatever their excuses are, each one thought that they, what he had to do was more important than attending this feast. See, attending the feast took a back seat and their priorities. And buried between the lines of this parable is the thought that went through the host's mind. As the servant came back and said, Master, none of those who you invited are coming. And here's why. And he went through the excuses. Going through the host's mind is implied here. What You knew the feast was going to be today. You knew I'd go to a lot of work. You knew there would be a lot of preparation and that it meant a lot for me to me for you to come. And now you give me these I'm too busy excuses? Really? So how does he respond? Verse 21. 
So the slave came back and reported these things to his master. And then in anger, the master of his house, of the house, told his slave, you go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame. Master, the slave said, after you've gone out and done this, what you've ordered has been done, and there's still room. There's still empty seats around the table. I've still got lots of food. Then the master told the slave, you go out into the highways and the lanes, lanes, and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you that not one of those who were invited will enjoy my banquet. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you too busy in your life to attend the feast of God? Are you a workaholic, those of us who either own our own businesses or perhaps are salaried and don't work an hourly wage can very quickly get sucked up into the rationale that in order to succeed, I've got to work 50, 60, 70 hours a week. I love that song. I hadn't heard that before. And you burn the midnight oil and you're trying to balance too many plates and the candle's burning at both ends in your life. If your life is ridiculously busy, it's ridiculous. If your life is ridiculously busy and you have no time to spend quietly with the Lord, feasting on his bread, that's the case, then you and I are no different than these men in the parable who are invited. But what are we doing, parents? What are we doing by teaching our children when we encourage them to be busy every moment with what the Lord has to offer them instead of finding out what they have to offer the world? Are we asking them to join us in, in the parable with their excuses? How are you, by example, encouraging your children to spend their time? By example. Are you running around nonstop making sure your kids are involved in every extracurricular activity possible, the sports, the dance, the scouts, whatever? And none of those things are bad, but they can consume us. So much so that you don't have time in your own life because you're so busy running around, you don't have time in your own life to reflect and feast. You don't have time in your own life to even volunteer time to help other people out. And are our kids so busy doing stuff for them that they're never shown, you know what, we need to take some time to serve others? Are they learning by what we're teaching them, by our busyness for them, that they are life's greatest priority? Some of us can use the excuse, I'm preaching to myself here, Because of our type A personalities, we can say, well, I just can't help it. I'm driven. I'm driven to succeed. I'm so busy because that's what I have to do to survive. And for you and me who are those type A's, our busyness, and I speak as one who understands this, our busyness can become for you and me a source of pride. We want people to look at us. Look Look at how busy I am. must mean I'm important. I'm so busy as though it's a badge of honor and success. 
then that makes me ask the question, what is my definition of success? What is yours? How would you define success? How does it match up with God's definition of success for you? I don't know. What's God's definition of success? Well, what would that be? Maybe love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength, Jesus said. I think Jesus would say, that's a successful man. That's a successful woman. How about this? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus would say, that's a definition of success. Someone who does that. Made me think about my own workaholic way of living, which I blame on the necessity of survival. But not only my own survival, I blame it on the survival of others as well. I can't stop. God, I'm a pastor. But I know full well that's my choice, not God's. See, no matter how busy we are, we can make time to reflect on who we really are and what really matters in life. Now, granted, most of us have to work for survival. And I'm a strong believer in in the work ethic. But I don't know too many people, myself, I don't know too many people who are born with silver spoons in their mouths. In fact, I don't think I know any. And I would never criticize those of us who work the hours that you do just to keep your families fed and clothes on their back and roof over your heads. And I know what that's all about. But how often are we working for things or working to maintain situations that are not really worth it? In the end, how many of us have to work so hard to afford our expensive habits, our expensive playthings, things that are only temporary, things that will not bring you or me lasting joy? Well, these men, these the ones who originally invited, the one one in the field with the field that he bought, and the one with the oxen, the guy with the new bride. The truth of the matter is, sometime that evening, they did have to stop and eat, didn't they? I mean, everybody needs to eat. And they've been invited to a feast. They were going to have to stop and eat sometime. But I bet whatever they had to eat that night, it wasn't as good as what they would have gotten at the feast, do you think? Oh, they're so busy, they probably ran through the drive-thru to get a burger and fries. They missed out on the very best that could possibly be experienced that day in their lives because they were too busy. What about the master of the feast? How did he react? Does it surprise you? If this is the Lord, he reacted in anger. Jesus gets mad? Yeah? At me? Depends on what I'm doing, my attitude, how I'm living. Keep in mind that Jesus here is describing himself, and he's saying, I will not let this feast go to waste. So what do you tell a slave to do? I want you to go out, and I want you to invite. I want you to find people who aren't too busy. The poor, maybe they're, they're not busy because maybe they're, maybe they're poor because they don't have a job. The maimed, the blind, the lame, maybe they're, they're not busy because 
they have no ability to go and work. They're dependent on others to help them, so they're not overly busy. Go out and find them and bring them to the banquet. The point is this, in your notes, if we make excuses for not stopping for the feast, God will find someone else to enjoy his blessings. If I'm too busy, God's not going to say, oh, gee, all this is going to have to be dumped in the trash. God's going to find someone else to enjoy his blessings. How many of us are so busy being busy that we're starving spiritually and emotionally and intellectually? If your only, hear me, if your only spiritual food intake is what you get here on Sunday morning, even though we open up the word of God and we teach it here, if this is your only time of feasting on Sunday morning, let me say to you, you gotta be starving the rest of the week. How many of us are so busy that we don't have time to listen to a friend or, or to a stranger who's in pain? How many of us are so busy? We're just too busy to be pleasant, too busy to be simply joyful. The bread. What's the bread that you're seeking? Job in Job 23 verse 12 said, I have treasured the words of his mouth, speaking of God, Treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. By the way, Job was the Bill Gates of his day. The prophet Jeremiah wrote, Jeremiah 15, 16, Your words were found and I ate them. Your words became a delight to me and the joy of my heart. For I'm called by your name, Lord God of hosts. John six thirty five. Jesus I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Then the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6 said, but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. But if we had food and clothing, we'll be content with these. We can be full of excuses. I find myself, I look at my, I, I, I knew the Sunday was coming, this message was coming, and then I looked at my week last week, which was an incredibly hectic, busy week of things that happened at very inconvenient times and things that were not on my schedule and were not on my calendar. And I said, and I have to preach this Sunday, Lord. So you see, when I'm pointing at you, there's three fingers pointing back at me. We can be full of excuses and not full of what matters. Are you missing the great feast? In the weeks to come, we're going to talk about some practical ways to create margin in our lives and take breaks and why that matters. It matters to God in your life. Next week, we're going to move to what Jesus had to say to a church that was so busy, it was missing the feast. Would you bow with me in prayer?
Our priorities, Father, reflect who we think you are. We've all been given an invitation to feast with Jesus. Every day he waits for us to open up your word and spend some time conversing with him. Resting and relaxing and enjoying his company. We've been invited, but many of us just bought a field and we got to check it out, or our ox is stuck in a ditch, or we've got some other lame excuse why we're so busy and we miss out on the feast. And we wonder why the candle's burning at both ends and it's nearly burnt out. We wonder why we're so exhausted. We wonder why we've lost touch with our kids or with our spouse. We wonder why life just doesn't seem to get any better the harder and harder we work. Because we're not eating your bread. Help us, Father, when you play your music for us to stop. And listen, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.